welcome back to the What's Up and What's Next podcast, the greatest podcast of all times. Today's episode is on cryptocurrency. Yes, crypto. Finally, I know you guys have been requesting this episode for a minute, and I only wanted to get around to do it when two factors made sense for me. Those two factors were one, when I finally had time to research it, <laughs> and number two, when I found a friend that is just as passionate about technology as I am. So those things have finally happened and it makes sense. I got a bit of time to do some research. My friend, again, welcome back, Zayn Mitha to the show. He's not a new guest and he's here to talk about it a little bit as well. And so, yeah, we're going to cover all the basics about crypto and hopefully that should give you a great introduction to cryptocurrencies and hopefully you guys take away a lot from this episode. Now, before we start, there are two disclaimers that I need to make. Number one, this is not financial advice. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to say that. It's not financial advice. It, it's just us talking about cryptocurrencies. So take it however you want to take it. And disclaimer number two, everything that is discussed in today's episode is quite literally an interpretation of mine and Zane's research. It's based on research that we've done on the space and it's based on the interpretation from the research that we've done on the space. So I just want you guys to be mindful of that. And with that said, we can we can start the episode. Um, first of all, welcome Zane, welcome back. Thank you, Eric. What a nice introduction. Oh my God. Here we are again. Um, yeah, we've got some exciting topics that we want to go over today. Um, really looking forward to seeing what we can put together. Yeah, same here. Hopefully we can give like a little crash course on this space. It's popping and, you know, like I said, I wanted to do this like a beginning of this year, but I wanted to do it once I got around to finally researching a little bit about it because there's so much, honestly, I could have spent months researching, but then the episode wouldn't come out and people would have been a bit upset at it. So here we are. Anyways, first question to you is what is cryptocurrency? A cryptocurrency is basically a digital form of money. It's a digital version of actual currency. Typically, like the records, transaction history and things like that are maintained by a decentralized kind of network rather than a centralized authority like a bank, for example. Um, and that's where the whole decentralization aspect of crypto comes in. Let's dive into that a little bit more. So, okay, cryptocurrencies are basically digital money digital currency that's sort of the the simplest way we can put it but you mentioned two keywords you mentioned decentralized and centralized can you tell us the difference between decentralized and centralized so centralized kind of a centralized authority is where one node or one specific place kind of maintains and verifies transaction histories um looks out for fraudulent transactions and a bunch of different things that typically your banking system would do. And that's how banks work because it's a centralized location that maintains your funds. Uh, decentralized is when there's multiple places. So different places in the world that kind of can also do the same thing. Right. So with centralized, there is effectively a central source of truth. Whereas with decentralized, there's multiple sources of truth and it doesn't rely on a single point of failure that's exactly the, that's the gist of it now we've exactly. spoken about these concepts and they actually come very hand to hand with blockchain so everyone's heard the word blockchain being thrown around <laughs> and we're going to talk about bitcoin ethereum and all those fun coins but before we do we need to talk about blockchain because what people are not catching up on is blockchain is where the magic happens don't get me wrong i i'm all for bitcoin ethereum they sound like fun things but the technology underlying that is fascinating so at least for me and i'm sure for you as well because we love technology so let's talk about blockchain what is blockchain and how does it work just in a nutshell what is blockchain how does it work uh a blockchain is kind of a trust a trustless system where groups of decentralized computers or nodes can actively say whether something is verified or not. And the way it works is once it's verified, 
everyone else on the network has to agree to that as well. And once it's done, it's added into the blockchain, which is kind of oh, tough to explain. It's um, it's like a chain of blocks. Like the, the thing is, the name actually matches what it is. Blockchain is, is a chain of blocks. Every block on the blockchain holds transaction data and it holds data that points to the previous block and data that points to the next block. And that's why they're, they're a chain of blocks because they, they generally like a chain of blocks that contain data about the transactions and then have pointers to the previous one and the next one, which is what links them all together. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that is literally it. The, the thing with blockchain is that, you know how teachers in school would say never define a word using the same word? <laughs> but a blockchain is exactly that. It is a chain of blocks that are mathematically linked to each other. So they can always be verified because it would be impossible to have anything different. So if you were to say, for example, try and change something in the blockchain, that would change the overall hash value of that block which means it's different and the blockchain wouldn't accept it. It would be noted as invalid. So it's, it's really interesting when you look into kind of when it's used in the financial industries as well. And that is why it's a decentralized system, right? Because all these little blocks are not as like a block by itself is not the source of truth. A block to be the source of truth needs all the other blocks, which means straight away there's multiple points. And so that's why it's not centralized as a system. It's a decentralized system, right? Yeah, no, exactly. That, that's exactly it. And now that we've talked a little bit about that, because I think that was important. And to be quite honest, it is a very complex concept. If you haven't heard of it or if you haven't really navigated through it, a lot and so don't want to spend too much time over complicating it or over explaining it really just all people need to know is it's a chain of blocks they hold transaction data information on those blocks and those blocks connect to each other because they have information about the previous block and the next block in that chain and therefore they they all together form what we call the decentralized system yeah exactly bitcoin I think that is one of the things that everyone knows of right now. In 2021, if you don't know or if you haven't heard of the word Bitcoin, I'd be very, very surprised. So talk to me, Zane. What exactly is this Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, Bitcoin is the kind of world's first type of digital currency. Um, it is a proof of work currency. Um, we should definitely cover the differences between them. But for right now, it is a proof of work digital currency, which means miners will mine blocks and in reward for doing it, the fastest they will be given some Bitcoin in return. So it all depends on how much power you have, how quickly you can mine. And that's why you also see a lot of news in the news kind of about electricity usage as well, because there's a lot of electricity usage being kind of used to, to mine Bitcoin because it's really, really valuable. And you've mentioned a few concepts there that I was going to dive in later, but we might as well dive in now. But before we do that, I do want to say that Bitcoin being the first form of digital currency was created by Satoshi Nakamoto. And again, this name is one name that's being thrown around and there's no no one exactly knows where this person is or what's going on with that person that created bitcoin all we know is that that person or them created bitcoin i personally don't believe it was one person if you ask me i actually think satoshi nakamoto which is the the name and the alias that is being thrown around is actually a group of people and not a person itself because when you look at what bitcoin is and you really, really understand that the multiple concepts, you know, cryptography, security, networking, engineering, mathematics, there's way too much involved for creating Bitcoin. That would suggest to me that multiple people were involved because that's a lot of knowledge 
applied into practice for it to be one person. However, hey, you never know. It might have been one person, but this is sort of like my personal opinion. So take it with a, a pinch of salt. That's that's just what I think anyways. No, I know what you mean. Um, there's actually the whole story about Satoshi. It's really shrouded in mystery. You know, no one knows anything, but then someone who does, but it can never be verified. And there's a lot of kind of things that just don't add up. Um, again, I think, I don't know whether it's a person or a group, but Satoshi rumored or we it's believed, well, he kind of looked at a principle from a long time ago and rebuilt that and basically used that to create a cryptocurrency that was trustless in the sense. So I think at a deeper level, it's it's a big shift in kind of how we understand kind of the, the payment industry, for example. The whole crypto industry is huge. It is. It's, it's massive. And this was just like a side note for me and, and what I personally think. I would love to know if it was a group of people that did it or just a single person, but I guess we'll never really know. However, you mentioned miners. Now, you said miners mine Bitcoin. When you said miners, the first thing that I thought about was someone with a helmet on that has a little lantern at the top of the helmet. That's literally what I thought about. Do you want to explain what a crypto miner actually is or a Bitcoin miner in this existence? Yeah, no, I, I I agree. When you say miners, it, I think of the exact same thing. Um, and I know that there used to be a whole kind of meme culture based around mining as well. It was quite hilarious. Um, but yeah, so so the, the way kind of the whole blockchain works is that if I want to make a transaction to you, Eric, I'm going to send you one Ethereum, for example, right? you will not receive one full Ethereum because there's a bit of a transaction fee that has to happen that goes back into kind of the Ethereum network. Now, what happens is that that transaction fee is put into a block. This block then has to be kind of authenticated, verified by a miner. This miner, what they're doing is they're using kind of sometimes specialized hardware platforms to solve really complicated and mathematical kind of equations. And when they do, they are given a reward for solving that block the quickest. So there's a few factors here, you know, there's kind of how fast are you mining? You know, what kind of power are you using? What algorithm you're using to mining? There's loads of different things. But when a miner kind of mines that block, they get the transaction fees that were actually taken a place across the transactions that happened in that block. And once that happens, everyone, well, the miner basically sends out a signal saying, hey, look, I think I've solved this block, and other miners have to then confirm it. When most of the miners can confirm it, they would then tell the whole network, and then that gets put into the blockchain. Right. And so with that, to clarify, the miners in the crypto world Mm -hmm. effectively have hardware that is in fact solving these mathematical equations and algorithms with that hardware power and every so often they get rewarded for it Mm -hmm. after it's confirmed by the network okay yeah exactly now talk to me about proof of work and proof of stake and what's the difference so in a proof of work scenario like Bitcoin, for example, you have miners, right? So miners will mine the block and that's it. But in a proof of stake environment, you don't actually have any miners. What you now have are validators. Validators will have to stake some of their own kind of Ethereum, for example, into the network. So when they kind of say, oh, hey, look, this block, here's the hash, this is it. If everyone else, all the other validators don't agree, that person would lose part of their stake, right? So in proof of work, uh, when mining happens, the more hashing power you have, the higher your returns are. Though in proof of stake, this is a little bit different because we don't have miners in this scenario anymore. Now what we have is 
a proof of stake. So the more Ethereum you're staking, that's kind of the more confidence you're putting in the network about what you're saying, right? So that's like if I went and said, hey, here's 100 Ethereum that I'm staking, and someone is staking 32 Ethereum, which is the minimum you need to stake Ethereum, right? Uh, the likelihood of me getting picked to approve a transaction is significantly higher than the person who has 32 Ethereum staked because I'm putting my kind of confident, my uh, integrity out there, my confidence saying that, yeah, this is it. So it can be very lucrative proof of stake, um, but it is also quite risky because if you say, if you try and verify a fraudulent block, for example, you could be penalized, right? You can lose some of your Ethereum stake. And I don't think anyone really wants to be losing any Ethereum right now. 100%. Now, I do want to say that what we're talking about right now does not apply for probably 95% or if not 99% of the people that are listening to this. 99% of the people that are listening to this are either people who are curious about crypto or are people who are on the investor side of things. So in, in crypto, you can think of things in two ways. You are, you're either a miner or an investor, or in a lot of scenarios, you kind of both. But let's just for now stick with the, the two personas, you miner or investor. What we're talking right now is mining, which is kind of like the behind the scenes of the network and mm -hmm. what keeps the network running which I know doesn't apply for pretty much anyone listening to this right now, but it's important to cover because it gives you an overall perspective of what's happening behind the scenes of the mm -hmm. network. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's really critical to understand how a specific cryptocurrency works, uh, what it's trying to achieve, what the goals of it are, to kind of be able to project where you think this could actually go. 100%. Now, doing a full circle, just going back to Bitcoin, because we spoke about mining, proof of work, proof of stake, back to Bitcoin. What I see happening right now to Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is not actually being used for its intended purpose. Bitcoin's intended purpose was digital currency. We want to be the digital currency of the future. However, it's kind of got to a point where you know, there's companies right now working to enable crypto integration payments into their systems, blah, blah, blah. You can now pay with Bitcoin. That's all good and well, because that's what Bitcoin was designed for. But people don't want to do that anymore. Why would you want to purchase an item with, let's say, for example, one Bitcoin, when you could be gaining a lot more from keeping that Bitcoin instead of buying an item with it. Because the value of the Bitcoin is so valuable and it keeps on increasing that actually you're better off not spending your Bitcoin. So mm -hmm. just a bit of, of, of an insight here that Bitcoin right now is in a bit of a interesting position because its intended use is to be a digital currency. However, its current use is more of a value of store. So it's more of a store of value. Think about it as gold. Gold is a store of value. That's all it is. You know, you have a bit of gold, you sell it, you make some money off it. Bitcoin is yeah, exactly. the same thing. Bitcoin is the same thing right now. You have some Bitcoin, you sell it, you make some money off it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting because that was never the, the purpose of Bitcoin. And to be honest, I think Bitcoin will still fulfill its potential at some point. But I think just right now, people would much rather store value from it than use it to pay. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that Bitcoin was the very first entrance into the whole digital currency market, right? If it was... Like, say Bitcoin wasn't the first cryptocurrency on Ethereum, I think we would still be seeing the kind of same things fall through. The price goes skyrocketed, and because it's the first kind of one out there, there's a lot of belief that, well, Bitcoin is kind of the statement of all digital currencies. If Bitcoin's doing well, then people are in favor of cryptocurrencies. If it's not, then people are a bit more wary of it. So I think Bitcoin being the first one, it kind of comes kind of hand in hand together with it. 
But no, I definitely agree. A, a lot of people are kind of just holding their Bitcoin because the predictions say, hey, you know, this could hit 100K, for example. You know, that's what people are more concerned about rather than actually using it for financial transactions. Which I, by the way, don't blame anyone for <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, if you that's have Bitcoin and you're holding it, that's probably the best thing you could be doing right now. Anyways, that's sort of Bitcoin in a nutshell. Do you want to touch on blockchain just one more time to say that the thing that is brilliant with the blockchain is it eliminates the need for a middleman, right? <laughs> right now, if I wanted to send money, and I mean real money, forget the, forget the digital currencies for now. If I wanted to send real money, like £10, to Zane, for me to do that, I need to go through my bank. So I could go on my online banking and, and send £10 to Zane, but that has to go to the middleman, which is my bank, and then Zane's bank as well, if it's not the same bank. Um, with blockchain, what happens is that middleman disappears. If I want to send £10 in digital digital currency, so let's forget, it doesn't matter what coin it is, but if I wanted to send £10 worth of digital currency to Zane, there's no middleman. I send it to him and that's straight to him. That's it. There's no bank. There's no authority. There's no middleman. And that's also the beauty of it. And that's why people are really, really keen on it because you remove the need of a middleman. Think about it this way. If instead of you going to your Uber app and booking a driver, which by the way, requires Uber to be the middleman between you and the driver, what if you could just go to the driver straight away? What if you didn't need to go through Uber? And this is just a thought. I'm not saying that that's how it should be or that's not how it shouldn't be. I'm saying think about the blockchain as a way to remove the middleman, therefore creating a trust directly between the two parties that are involved. And that's the beauty of it in, in a sense as well. <laughs> no, that, that's exactly it. It's the whole kind of idea of banking for everyone. No, it can be done anyone to anyone anywhere in the world. You know, you're not going to pay crazy international transaction fees, nothing like that, because it's kind of censorship resistant in a way. You know, anyone has access to it, anyone can use it, and it's free to use, right? If you just want to use it, you're not going to have to pay a subscription to have like a, a Bitcoin wallet, right? It's you go on there, the only thing you're really paying for is transaction fees. Unless, you know, you're using some uh, crazy exchange or it's really high numbers where you would start kind of having to pay for subscriptions to these exchanges. But apart from that, the availability for it is incredible. 100%. Now, that's that. Let's move on to Ethereum. What exactly is Ethereum? Ethereum is the number two cryptocurrency at the moment. Um, it is... Um, it's it's another type of kind of DeFi financial system transaction coin, you know. But the goal here was to kind of make it in the image of Bitcoin, but not like Bitcoin. You know, there are some differences that are in there as well. It's again, it's got the whole peer-to-peer -peer networking aspect, the anonymity aspect. There's still the whole censorship resistance stuff. So you, its accessibility is still there, but at the moment. What we see with Bitcoin, for example, a lot of power is being used to mine it. Whereas in Ethereum, I want to say also due to kind of the early stages at the moment, there's not it's not using as much energy, as well as the fact that it's a lot more energy efficient with actually the mining process as well. And with Ethereum, because it's a decentralized open source blockchain with smart contract functionality, it provides a whole bunch of things that, for example, Bitcoin doesn't provide. And we can touch a bit on smart contracts because it is a very key fundamental of what Ethereum can do. And okay. just to, I'll quickly define that so we don't spend too much time on it. But if you think about a smart contract, if I had to fulfill the contract where Zane has to pay me something or Zane has to do something, but in order for him to do that, he needs to fulfill a certain criteria. Once we lock that contract in, that's it. 
you can't escape it, there's no way to break it, because as soon as the criteria is met, that transaction that we agreed on is fulfilled. And that's what smart contracts are in a nutshell. And so the reason why it's revolutionizing that aspect is because you can't break it. If you fulfill that, if you agree to a contract, you have to fulfill it according to the criteria. And of course, there's a lot more to it, but that's one of the big aspects that comes with the Ethereum network. And so with that, Ethereum is powerful for that, but also the ability to allow you to create decentralized applications and decentralized systems is also another benefit that Ethereum brings. Do you want to touch upon that a little bit or do you want to just speak about Ethereum a bit more before we move on? Um, you know what? Ethereum being the kind of number two cryptocurrency at the moment, I, I have a lot of, I want to say, belief in Ethereum. I think the applications really are endless. If we look at kind of smart contracts, you know, it's still the concept of that contract is written in, uh, it can't be changed or a method that was once theorized to kind of be able to break a blockchain is a 51% attack, but it we haven't been able to kind of test it because 51% of kind of the network power, for example, if we take Bitcoin, that's something like $80 billion because you need to own that much of the network power to kind of say yes to a fraudulent transaction. So that's where the idea stems from that a smart contract can't be broken because for anyone to do that, they have to be able to attack the network. And mm-hmm. um, the more decentralized that network is, the harder and harder it becomes to attack because there isn't that one central entity, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I know you said you had a lot of belief in it. And to be honest, I always have a lot of belief in the underdog. And Ethereum, in this scenario, is the underdog right now when you compare it to Bitcoin. So I also have a lot of belief in Ethereum. And I also think that Ethereum can pretty much do anything that the other altcoins are doing at the moment. If Ethereum wants to, they they have the ability to, which is why I have this sort of belief that this underdog one day will become the top dog. But that's the conversation for another day. I've mentioned uh, altcoins. Do you want to explain what are altcoins? Uh, altcoins are exactly what they sound like, alternative coins. They are any coin that is not Bitcoin. Um, just literally any coin. So Ethereum, Cardano, these are all forms of an altcoin because they are not a Bitcoin. Right. Nice and simple. What is a crypto exchange? I like to think of crypto exchanges as a bridge between cryptocurrency and my bank account, Uh, purely because if I have crypto in a crypto wallet, uh, that would go to the exchange, which would then be able to send it to my bank account. You can also trade your coins there. You can, well, in different types of marketplaces, there's a lot more you can actually do with the whole staking aspects as well. But if you think of a exchange like a little bridge between digital money and, you know, liquid cash, that's kind of the best way to look at it. And this is where it gets interesting, especially for the people listening who might be on the investor side, who, we, who might be considering it. So the exchange is effectively, like you said, like the marketplace. If you mm-hmm. think about Gemini, Coinbase, Binance, I'm sure you might have heard some of these names. These are all crypto exchanges because they allow you to have a look at the crypto marketplace and then invest or trade and do all sorts of things. You also mentioned wallet. Do you want to cover what a crypto wallet is? Uh, Yeah, I mean, again, nice and simple. If you keep your bank cards in a physical wallet, where do you keep your crypto? You have to have an equivalent and thus crypto wallets were born. They are storage for your crypto tokens yep that's that's literally all it is and in crypto exchanges you also kind of have a wallet well it it's the exchange wallet so it technically isn't a crypto wallet per se but it's you can store your your cash in that exchange and then use it to trade 
Yeah. Uh, what's what's kind of really, really important is when you look at the difference between a wallet and an exchange, it all comes down to who owns the private keys to the wallet, right? So the way a crypto wallet works is that it has your tokens in there, but you can only unlock your wallet with a private key. So this comes back to kind of public private key encryption, which is a very, very, like everyone uses public and private key encryption, it's normal. Um, but it comes down to who actually owns that private key and who has access to it. So in a wallet, for example, typically the only person who would have your private keys is yourself. That's why only you could access it. For example, say I lost my backup phrase or my private key. Let's say I just didn't find it. There is physically now no way to get into that crypto wallet. You could have a billion dollars in there. And there is a guy who's in the news who um, he, he had a ridiculous amount of Bitcoin, but he, he lost his crypto wallet. And the thing is, if you don't have your private key, then that crypto wallet is useless because there is no way, physically no way to gain access to that account. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the, the those news as well. It's hilarious because yeah. he's literally searching everywhere. He's digging holes in a forest trying to find it. And this is the thing. When you look at an exchange, for example, if they're the ones that are holding your private keys, they are the ones who have your tokens. You don't have those anymore, right? If I know that there was a... There was an exchange that was built, I can't remember what country, but loads of people started using it and the exchange just disappeared, right? But so many people had put a lot of money kind of into this that just went completely missing because they didn't have access to that anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. And that concludes sort of what I want to talk about in terms of exchange wallets. Mm-hmm. I think trading would be interesting conversation to get into very briefly because there's two types of people right now in the crypto space there's the people and i know i've said this before but i'm just going to say again there's two types of people in the crypto space there's the people who invest and hold and there's the people who invest and trade which is a very similar concept to the stock market as well but let's focus on the crypto side of things do you want to talk about trading first and then we can talk about the the hold or the huddle and you can explain the term as well where it comes from yes um well trading really you know you can say for example you know you can sell your crypto to anyone you want right there's no kind of limits on who it can go to so for example you know say it's trailing at what is it i think today it was at 2400 pounds ethereum you know you could sell your ethereum to someone for x amount but you could sell them a bunch of it so a lot of people will start trading when so they'll sell it for cash when the price is really really high because they've held for a long time and then they'll tend to buy back when it's really really low hoping to kind of get that rise again and then they would pocket whatever they kind of made as a difference which is really, really similar to what a lot of people do kind of in the stock markets as well. Which is also very risky and very difficult because you can't predict the market and you can't time the market. And so with trading and what I've seen from people that I've heard or read in the news, with trading, everyone's trying to predict and look at all these graphs and trying to understand when, when should I buy, when should I sell, when should I buy, when should I sell so that I can make the most amount of profit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it's quite interesting because you can't time the market. So there is a, a luck factor in this. There, there might be some algorithmically factors into it, but there's definitely a bit of luck as well. Because, you know, one day Elon Musk could tweet about the crypto network or the crypto coins. And next thing you know, it's skyrocketed or dumped, depending on how the tweet goes and. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Elon Musk is Elon Musk, and uh, oh god, yeah, it's a Elon Musk, it's, a, it's a conversation for another day, to be honest, because um, I don't want to get into that specific. Because if we talk about that, then we have to talk about what influences the market, and it's not as easy to tell. Um, yeah. 
at the at the core, what influences uh, the market value of any coin is effectively the supply and demand of it, right? So yeah. let's say, for example, I have a car that is really, really rare, and there's like only one of a kind, or, or let's say there's like ten of a kind of this car that I have. If there's only ten of a kind of this car that I have, and I have one of them, straight away. There's only nine left in the world, which means that now it's more valuable because I have it and no one else has that car. And so if you apply that same concept, it's the same thing. It's supply and demand. And that's kind of how the market value works. I don't want to speak too much on it because I'll be honest with the market value. I don't have too much knowledge of it, but just like the stock market, similar to it at the very basic, it's supply and demand. How much supply is there? How much demand is there? And because it's constantly fluctuating, you see the markets being so volatile, and especially in the crypto market. With yeah, that... no, if we yeah, sorry, I was just saying, if we look at Bitcoin for example, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency that has a finite supply of Bitcoin, right? There, we don't have an endless supply. There is a limited amount that's actually in in the world right or in the network so what happens is that the more we mine the less there is left which means the rarity increases so another thing we have in a cryptocurrency is a halving so a halving in bitcoin is every four years so this means every four years the network difficulty changes so it gets harder and takes longer to mine and to actually receive that reward. And the rewards are also cut in half every single time. So it really kind of slows down how quickly people can mine as well, right? Because every four years after a halving, you know, everything changes again. You're like, whoa, your miners, for example, would be making significantly less. Do you see what I mean when I say I don't believe that it was made by one person? Who would have thought of that? Do you know what I mean? Like, who would have thought of all of these components? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like a miracle that someone could think of so many things and program it into practice. It's just, it's unbelievable. But anyways, I'm not going to go there again. What I do want to talk about is HODL. We've talked about trading. I'll talk about HODL or HOLD. HODL. Uh, HODL. Uh, well, it actually means hold, right? As in you're holding. But um, what happened was, I think it was some guy who was intoxicated or whatever. He had like messaged or posted a tweet, something saying, oh, I'm holding on for dear life because I think Bitcoin's price or its market value like dropped significantly. So because he was intoxicated, he spelled I'm holding as I'm hodl. And that's how it came out to be holding on for dear life. <laughs> yeah. Funny story. Interesting guy, honestly. Yeah, it, it is funny. But effectively, all it means is holding. So it's the type of investment where you invest and then you just hold for long term, mm-hmm. hoping that one day when it's high enough for your taste or for your preference, you mm-hmm. take it out. Trading is very more recurring when it comes to taking out and putting it in, but hodling or holding is more about putting in and then just waiting as long as... Be. Yeah, diamond hunts, really. Yeah, you put it in, you don't check that up for like five years, come back to it and be like, oh, so that's how much I've made. <laughs> There's a lot of millionaires that were made off Bitcoin of that exact sentence that you just said. People... Not, could... not even that. There's so many people like in cryptocurrencies right now that are kind of day trading on cryptos because they're so, so volatile at the moment. And the thing is, there is a lot of potential for big returns there, but there's also a lot of potential for big losses. Again, not financial advice. Don't don't go out and start investing just because I say this, but there is always kind of that risky element to it. And especially if you think about how a tweet from a certain celebrity can influence the price of Bitcoin, it raises concerns, at least, about who can kind of control this this ideal of cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and again, sort of, the, the tweets from Elon Musk, it, it's not to say that Elon Musk controls 
It, of course he doesn't, but because when he tweets something, people straight away either go sell or buy based on the, the, the tone of his tweet, it then drives the market crazy, and especially because he's such a powerful person. It's like me saying like, oh, everyone should go buy or everyone should go sell or, or this is a good thing or this is a bad thing and then straight away you go and act upon it it's it's that factor it's not necessarily the fact that he has some hold on it he has no hold on it i mean sure he might be an investor yeah. of, of certain coins but he doesn't have any direct influence his indirect influence comes from the fact that people respect him and believe in him so when he tweets good stuff or bad stuff people either buy or sell accordingly therefore driving the market value because it's based on supply and demand. Again, this is based on my understanding. No, no, you're absolutely right. It, that's definitely how I would consider it to kind of work out. Now, we've kind of given the basics of mining, which would basically imply that you have a helmet with a lantern on it <laughs> and a lot of hardware power that is then solving mathematical equations on an algorithm to mine <laughs> coins. We've covered investing, which is basically your normal retail investor, any person who just creates an account with an exchange, such as Gemini, Coinbase, Binance, or just gets a crypto wallet, creates an account with any crypto wallet, could it be Metamask, Coinbase, again, um, there's so many exodus, um, and then puts in their own money and invests into coins that they feel are good investments for them. And that's sort of how, one, that's how mining works, which is the hardware side of things. And then, boom, this is the investing side of things, which is just create an account in exchange, create an account in a wallet, then deposit your money, and then choose to buy and sell whichever coins. Those are the <clears throat> basics of it. Hopefully, we covered the basics of crypto. Now, before we do close the episode, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. The yeah. first one is NFTs. It's uh, very popular right now, especially right now, as we record this episode right now, it's skyrocketed very recently. Can you tell us what are NFTs? NFTs, NFT literally stands for non-fungible token. So it is a token or a piece of art, so to speak, that is unique in its own way. Um, and it has been valued at or it has been put out for sale in a marketplace um, and someone has kind of sold this unique kind of card that can't be duplicated, can't be framed, um, can't be stolen, things like that, right? That's the NFT it, and they hold value incredibly well. Um, yeah, NFT marketplaces are becoming huge at the moment and I've been seeing a lot recently about really how they're only expected to get bigger from here. Yeah, and, and to summarize it, Think about NFTs as digital art, which is what Zane said. Yeah. It's just digital art. So pictures of anything, really, anything that you put out, I could literally make a drawing, upload it on the NFT marketplace, and that would be an NFT because it's a piece of art. Now, a lot of you would probably be wondering, how is it that an image, a JPEG, a PNG, holds value? I could just copy and paste it. I could just download the image. I could just screenshot it. And the truth is, you're right. You could screenshot it. You could copy and paste it. You could download it. But just because you do that doesn't mean you own it, right? You can screenshot that image if you go online and look at any NFT. You can screenshot it. That's fine. But you don't own it unless that NFT is linked to your wallet and is verified on that blockchain, whether that be the Ethereum blockchain or any other blockchain, because these tokens have identities that are attached to the blockchain. So just because you screenshot it doesn't mean you own it. You only own it really if it's in your crypto or if it's in your wallet. And by wallet, I didn't, I mean like your NFT marketplace sort of wallet, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's, on the blockchain. So the screenshots and all of that, trust me, I was wondering the same thing when I first heard of it. I was like, surely I could just screenshot it, but it doesn't work like that. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, it's the whole aspect of validity, authenticity, 
you can screenshot it, but it's never going to be the original. It's never going to match up with what's in the blockchain. Only the original can. And that's where it, the whole idea of its value comes about, the aspect of digital art. It is literally the digital version of art. Think about the Mona Lisa. You could try and fake the Mona Lisa, but it's a fake. It's not the original one. And it's the same concept. Like if you screenshot it, I mean, you're wasting time because it's not even on the blockchain for you. So it's it, anyways, the point is, think about it as digital art. And just like art in real life, where it's got value and people are willing to pay money for it. The same thing happens in the NFT marketplaces. People are willing to pay a lot of money for JPEGs and PNGs, surprisingly. Now, why is NFTs important? And I, why I wanted to mention it is because I think in the future, we might see utilities of these NFTs in places such as hospitality or concert. Like if I go to a concert, instead of having a, a paper ticket or a digital ticket, sorry, um, a paper ticket or like a, a PDF ticket, I could have a NFT ticket, right? And that cannot be faked because it's on the blockchain once again. Uh, think about boxing events, sports events, Premier League, like just think about this, like NFTs have great potential if they're utilized. And these are just examples of what I think could be the future. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think NFTs, I don't want to obviously say too much about projects, but looking into kind of NFTs in terms of like the fraud perspective, you have a system that can't be like defrauded. You know, you have something that can't be copied can only ever be the original. It can't be stolen, you know, for if someone was like an organization, I think looking into something like this and having their own versions is a very good idea in terms of kind of future planning and, you know, the big picture ideal, things like that. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's NFTs wrapped up. I just want to go back to the coins again real quick to ask you one last question before I ask you the final question, which made no sense in English. Well done, Eric. Okay, so all these coins, right? You know, you talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, um, Cardano, XRP, uh, Quant, you know, all of this. People don't understand it is that each coin is a project in itself and has some sort of utility, right? Do you want to speak just about that just briefly? There, there is kind of a goal out of each cryptocurrency, right? And the cryptocurrency aspect, it sets a platform for a currency to come in looking to achieve something, right? So for example, if you say there is a cryptocurrency, an altcoin called, I believe it's Atom, and the goal is to kind of help bridge this kind of gap between cryptocurrencies and fiat currencies. So in itself, the goal of it is to kind of help organizations migrate and look at it from that perspective. Yeah, so each, each cryptocurrency has its own kind of objective that it's looking to achieve. Except Dogecoin. Uh, I'm a Dogecoin, you know what? Power to the people. <laughs> Okay, so here's, here's the thing. With Dogecoin, it's it's a meme coin, right? And it's the hype has been so real, again, supply and demand, that it's actually been very successful in its early stage. Right now, I don't know, I don't know, I don't really follow Dogecoin closely, but it was very, very hyped to a point where it was actually being a very profitable investment for a lot of people. But there's no real project, there's no real utility, it's not solving anything. Like if you think about XRP, XRP is doing great because XRP has got something very useful and a very big utility in the security space, I believe. If I'm not wrong, I believe it's a security yeah, space, yeah, yeah. right? And, but Dogecoin, what is Dogecoin? It's just a meme. There's actually no utility. Now, that's not to say that that won't change in the future, but right now, it's, it's, I, I personally think that Dogecoin is just a joke for the people and the su the supply for example the supply they can literally create more dogecoins whenever they want so what's the point if you can create more 
then you can always drive the price down. I don't know. I'm just I I think Dogecoin is 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 one of those things. However, Vitalik Buterin, which is the founder of Ethereum, recently joined Dogecoin. And that for me is a good sign because that means that that project is, might go somewhere. And Elon Coin's been Elon, Elon Coin. Elon Musk's been paying a lot of attention to it as well. So I don't know. There, there, there might be something in the future there, but right now, if you looked at the state of it, it's uh, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, look. When I think of Dogecoin, I I see a a proof of concept of a system where the people have more control over their own kind of settings, investments like that. I see it as a proof of concept that serves to show us that people can have this power. It's not limited to just large organizations, right? So yeah, I get it's a meme coin. And I think, and I agree, it's definitely, there is a whole meme aspect to it. But I definitely think this is more of a statement in Dogecoin as well, because Dogecoin think about it like the movement it's made as well it's incredible it's doing what any cryptocurrency would have done in its early days and it's also doing it well and the kind of availability it's so widely known there's so many factors to it that i think really add to its benefit yeah and to to iterate this is definitely not financial advice (laughs) Uh, just iterate that anyways the point being to what you answered was each coin has a utility or serves a certain purpose and each project has certain things that they have around it and that's what makes a coin unique in its own way so yeah that's that now the final question i want to make to you is do you think that cryptocurrency is the future and why or why not can i answer that question with a question go on in the so let's look at banking industries right in banking industries how many fraudulent transactions do you think there are now i'm not saying what that kind of money has been used for i'm saying how many times do you think these transactions have been you know intercepted in between or accidentally sent money to one place and couldn't get it back you know how just think about it. How often do you think that kind of happens in the banking industries? I'd say fairly often. More often than we think, I think. Yeah. So we were aware of it. It happens. It's a problem. But how many of these fraudulent transactions do you think have happened while Bitcoin has been around since 2010? In the Bitcoin network itself? Yeah, in the network itself. I, I don't think there have been right because bitcoin runs on the blockchain so if you can't hack the blockchain you can't exactly that's my point got it yeah. we now have a system that can not protect us against threats but because of the way it works there can never be fraudulent transactions and that's of course the theorized 51 percent attack could happen which we don't know because it's never happened yet but this is the thing. We don't have a financial system that from a security perspective is actually, you know, it's quite ironclad in, in that sense, right? And that's why I, I have to say cryptocurrencies, you know, I, I'm i a strong believer in their future. I don't necessarily think the cryptocurrencies at the moment is where the future will be, but I think this is kind of a stepping stone to where they're going to go or how they're going to evolve because really right now cryptocurrencies are still i want to say in their infancy state you know the adoption isn't hugely wide but it's gaining traction and it's really gaining traction and yeah i I definitely see a lot of future in there that's for sure i have to agree with you i think it's in early stages even though it's been around for a while, but then it's had a few booms here and there, 2013, 2017, and now 2020, 2021. So I still think there's a lot more to come from this. I'm not sure how or where. Also, you've got to be understanding of the fact that you can't just replace the current system mm-hmm. overnight. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's possible unless 
somehow everyone came to an agreement. And also, even if everyone came to an agreement, I don't think governments would want that. And I'll tell you why, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but basically on the blockchain, you could effectively see where the money goes. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure the governments would want that level of transparency. And I'm not going to go any more further than that. I'm just going to leave it at that. And we don't need to to talk more about this, but that's my, my point on that. It's just, I don't think the government wants that level of transparency for their own purposes. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm inclined to agree, but I also think about how, well, we know that the British government is looking into cryptocurrencies and we've heard that they're working on things. We also know that the Chinese government are looking to create their own cryptocurrencies. So to be honest with you, I don't think it's a question about will cryptocurrencies be the future? I'm thinking more about how far away are cryptocurrencies to being in our daily lives? Because Uh, there will come a point where that will happen. 100%. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it won't. I I actually do agree. And my answer to the question is that I do believe it will be, or it will form part of the future. What I'm saying is there's still a lot of hurdles that have to be, you know, overcome in order for that to become a thing. And I think we're still a while away from it. However, if you look at the state of it, as soon as the boom happened, a lot of countries started working on it. A lot of countries, companies, a lot of attention was drawn to it. And if I were you, I'd I'd just ask the question of, when you see companies like Amazon and Walmart advertising for head of digital currency or creating departments around digital currency, creating roadmaps around digital currency internally in their companies and they're advertising for roles for this. What do you think that says to you? That's sort of my question. What do you think that says to you when you see companies moving like that? You know, whole roadmaps are being built on this. Departments are being created. Roles are being created. There must be a reason for it, right? Yeah. Uh, No, 100%. I mean, companies now, typically, we always see how companies have to get with the times, you know, to keep going. And we see that they're also trying to make their own advancements. So I don't see any reason why cryptocurrency wouldn't be something that companies should be looking into. You know, I, I actually remember reading an article how because a lot of users, uh, people who go to Starbucks, right, they can load up their Starbucks card and use that. But what if this then turned into, for example, let's say Apple were to create their own Apple coin. And if you pay with Apple coin, you could get a discount in terms of you'd pay less Apple coin than you would in pounds, for example, because Apple can then have their own little currency, which they can then control and then it can go bigger and bigger and bigger. So the whole idea of, oh, yeah, pay with cryptocurrency, A, it's safer to do so because, you know, no man, middle attacks, things like that. And it's also benefits the company. So you know what, I'd, I would not be surprised if in, I want to say, the next five, seven years, companies like Apple, Facebook, Google, or even like our normal kind of retail stores start actually accepting types of cryptocurrencies or having their own. I don't see why the fast food kind of industries couldn't adopt this because think about it, they can have so much more control over the financial sector as well. Yeah, there's, there's a, lot, a lot to it, to be honest. But I, I have to agree, I think, ultimately, cryptocurrency, and when I speak about cryptocurrency, I'm talking about not just crypto, but also NFTs, I think they form part of the future. What future that is, no idea. How is it going to be, no idea. But it will be, because I have to be honest with you, up until 2021, I thought it was just hype. I thought it was just fugazi fugazi buzzwords. I thought it was all of that. But I have to be quite honest with you. After doing a little bit of research and paying attention to the space, yeah, I I, I don't think it's hype anymore. 
I agree it's in its early stages, but it's not hype. I think this is here to stay. How and what and where? No idea. But I can pretty much confidently say that I don't think this is going anywhere. So the earlier you start looking into it and understanding it, perhaps the better you will be for the future. And even if that's not the case, you'll learn something new. And this is a win-win situation anyways. That is that. Is that. So look, Zane, I appreciate you. This is not the easiest of episodes, I'll be honest. This is probably one of the hardest episodes I've had to do simply because it's still a very early stage topic. It's, you know, volatile, instable in some in some aspects, and it's complex. So I appreciate you simplifying a lot of the concepts. I appreciate you joining me so that I don't have to do it alone. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just uh, all around appreciate you again for coming through on this one. And hopefully... The people have learned something from this episode. But yeah, thank you, Zane. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me, Eric. It's always a pleasure being being a part of the What's Up, What's Next podcast. 100%. Thank you so much. And if you guys have enjoyed today's episode, then please make sure to listen to the next podcast to find out what's up and what's next. What's up?